Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's too early to work in the garden, but that doesn't mean you don't have work to do outside. It is time to prune. And Jeff Isles, professor and chair of the horticulture department at Iowa State University, is here to guide us through the process. Hello, Jeff. Charity, good to hear from you. It's wonderful to have you here. And all right, February and March, we know this is the best time to prune for most trees and shrubs. What makes this time of year the perfect time for that work? Yeah. Well, we're all stir crazy. We've been in the house <laughs> all, all winter long, so we need to get out. So uh, the psychological benefits, it doesn't have anything to do with the trees? <laughs> so, no, we don't care. We don't care what they think. <laughs> they can't move anyway. So, no, it, it's, it's a good time to prune, for one, because uh, we can see the plant's architecture. The leaves aren't there yet, so we can see the bones of the plant, whether we're talking trees or shrubs. There's very little insect and disease pressure. In fact, there's none this time of the year. Uh, and then, of course, any pruning wound we make now, uh, the, the plant will begin to respond to that as it grows in the spring. So the the, the, the planets are aligned. This is a, a good time to prune. And I know Mr. Vitosh is probably listening out there somewhere, of course, our, our DNR friends. And he will remind us all that, that pruning oaks in the summer is, is just a bad idea. So, we're, But we are nearing the end of the oak pruning season. Uh, so if you, if, you have, if you have to prune oaks, get it done this, this weekend. But... Uh, Yes, to your point, Charity, this is a great time to get outside, especially on a day like today. All right. So, and you want to particularly focus on pruning young trees. Why do you think that's so important to think about? Well, it's it's like it's like any young being on this planet, whether that be a child, a dog, a turtle. Uh, it's so much easier <clears throat> to, to to train them when they're when they're young, and and the same goes for for trees. Uh, large tree pruning is a specialized uh, game, and we leave that to the professionals with, with chainsaws, <clears throat> sometimes with bucket trucks. But, but if we get trees off to a good start, then, then they will be, be much easier to handle as they get older. And we can, we can do all kinds of great things for them. Uh, unfortunately, I see too, way too many trees that have been neglected in their early stages. And then you end up having to make huge cuts, huge corrective movements with trees, and and it would have been so much easier to handle problems when when the tree is young. So yes, we're going to focus on that today. All right, and I think that a lot of us probably we plant our trees, we water our trees, we make sure that they're growing well, but we think that okay, that's something to think about later. What should we be looking for in a young tree? Right, right, right. Well, that's not to discount the the appropriate choice of plants, uh, the appropriate planting techniques, and, pr- and appropriate post-plant care. But, but pruning is, is right at the top of the list of things that need to be addressed early on in, in any plant's life. So for, for a shade tree, for example, I, I like to develop a central leader. Now, some trees will fight you on that one. But a, a central leader, for as, as, as long as you can get that to happen, is a, is a good idea. A good branch spacing. Here, let me, let me back up. When, when you look at a young tree, it's, it's kind of important, more than kind of important, to, to envision that plant 20 years down the road. What is it going to look like? And many times the branches you see on a young tree are, are simply temporary. They're, they're, they're there now. They're, they're providing a function now. They're feeding the tree, if you will. But a lot of those branches that we see today on a young tree are, are temporary. So we need to take the long view. In fact, when I, when I address a young tree, and I do address them, 
uh, very formally, <clears throat> uh, I, I try to envision where is the first permanent scaffold branch going to be on that tree? Is it going to be five feet off the ground, eight feet off the ground? And once you've made that determination, then you can begin looking down the road and and planning for, for branch removal. Of course, removing all the lower branches at one time is not good good practice. Those lower branches, again, are, are performing a valuable function. But we need a game plan. And, and that's why pruning is a, at least an annual event, sometimes twice a year. All right. So this is something that you're you're making a long-term plan for the health and welfare of that tree. How much can you prune a tree in one session and still not hurt it too badly? Yeah. <clears throat> there's a number of percentages that are bandied about. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's an exact formula, uh, but I, I would think anywhere between 15 and 25 percent, no more than that, uh, at, at any one sitting. And then we have to have some discipline and put the pruning saws down and, and not do any more. But that, but if you train yourself, train your tree into a visit w- at least once a year, then you really don't need to do more than that. Uh, but but I, I think all too often we we prune in 2020 and then oops we, we we get around to pruning again in 2023 and by then bad things happen. Another guiding principle for me is is the size of the wound you're creating. Uh, remember, trees are going to have an easier time dealing with a pruning wound when they're small. Remember, the tree doesn't differentiate between wounds. I mean, a a pruning cut is a wound to that plant, and it has to deal with it. Uh, And so the smaller that wound, uh, the the, the better it's going to be for the tree, the easier it's going to be for that tree to uh, to handle uh, that uh, that injury. Now, when um, you are doing this work, do you have to be particular about the kinds of tools that you use to make those wounds as as clean and easy to heal as possible? Right. So I think a good pair of, of pruning shears is good for, for smaller branches. And then a and then a a, a pruning saw. Uh, I've got a couple of these in my in my possession and they have these retractable blades which are really slick. Uh, but but those are the primary tools that, that we use. Someone might ask, well, what about what about chainsaws? And if you're using a chainsaw on a young tree, well, you've probably waited too long to take a take a branch off. And again, chainsaws and chainsaw safety is another topic altogether. But I'm hoping that if we're pruning young trees and doing it when we should be, then all you need is a good pair of, of, of bypass uh, pruning shears and uh, and uh, and a good pruning saw, uh, and and that's that that should be good enough. And I like to stay on the ground when I'm pruning. Now, this is one of those cases where I'm going to tell you what to do, not not what I do, but what, what do what as Jeff do. says, not what he does, right? <laughs> so my wife will tell you that I'm often on a ladder too high, <clears throat> trying to get to that central leader thing. But but try to try to confine your pruning to uh, having both feet on the ground, maybe one or two rungs on the ladder. But but let's let's be safe out there. All right. And we talked about this being the right time of year to do your pruning work. And we also know that life is busy and sometimes you put things off. Is there a, a danger as the tree starts to bud out? Are you at risk of, of damaging the tree in some way if you put it off until later in the spring? Right, right. I'm glad you brought that up, Charity. So so we talked about late dormant season pruning right now being very good. But there are other times of the year that are equally good. Uh, I've become a big fan of, of summertime pruning. But so not of oak June, trees. July, not of oaks, of course. We we don't prune oaks then, but for a lot of species, we can prune them in the, in the summer. I guess if I call a call a halt to pruning at any time of the year, it would be uh, as as trees are leafing out, they're breaking bud and leafing out because the bark is is full of water then, and it rips very easily. 
And the other time of the year I don't like to prune is in the fall, uh, October, November, maybe into early December. Trees are getting trees and shrubs are getting ready for winter then, uh, and wounds do not close at all when we make a pruning cut at that time of the year. So if we can avoid that 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 bud break time of the year and fall, then everything else is pretty much fair game. Again, with the the caveat that oaks are are better pruned, best pruned uh, in the dormant season. All right, let's talk about big trees for a moment because you, you've said many times that you need specialized tools, you need to be safe. But um, when we look at our older trees, what tells us it's time to make a call and we need somebody to, to really help us and right. to prune that tree? Yeah, and, and, and there are folks that are trained in looking at large trees and, and identifying defects. I guess any large tree with a limb hanging over my house is going to grab my attention. Uh, especially if if the species is one that has a reputation for becoming problematic as they age, uh, hackberry, silver maple, uh, things like that. So I think any large tree requires uh, perhaps at least an annual visit from an arborist, a trained, qualified, certified arborist, just to give the tree the once-over because there's something that you might miss that he or she would see that, that requires attention. And hopefully if there's a defect in the tree, it, it can be corrected by a by a pruning cut or maybe the installation of hardware, or in the extreme case, the tree might need to come down. But um, uh, it's a a science, it's an art, uh, but it's also dangerous work. And so whenever I'm dealing with large trees, especially when they're in close proximity to homes uh, or other targets, I I call in the people that, uh, that do this kind of thing for a living. Let's talk about shrubs for a few minutes, because uh, while you were talking about a central leader on trees, the the architecture of a tree is, uh, to me, it's a lot more clear than the architecture of a shrub. What tells you that you need to prune your shrubs? Well, you, the good thing about shrubs is they don't fall on your house, so we don't we don't get as worried. But but I like to look for branch spacing. Again, when I have branches that are rubbing or crossing, I like to eliminate that. If a, if a shrub gets too dense and inhibits light from penetrating into the shrub, I, I try to do some thinning there. So I, I guess the, the goals with shrub pruning is, is thinning, uh, size control, uh, but, but it's also a, a rather complicated game because our pruning is often dictated by what the plant does. For example, lilacs flower in the spring of the year, and if we do a lot of pruning now, we might sacrifice a lot of flowers. Now, that might not be a huge deal, but it's a consideration. Other shrubs that flower in the summer, like spirea, we can prune them almost willy-nilly this time of the year and, and not worry about sacrificing flowers. So it, it helps to know what the goal is, what is your goal, and, and what, when they flower, and treat them accordingly. But to, but to back way up, we, we, we get around a lot of these problems by making sure the plant, the shrub in this case, is in the right location. If we plant a large-growing lilac next to the house, then we're going to have problems probably down the road. So, again, it comes back to that right plant for the right place. Talk that we've we've had so many times. Right. And another talk that we've had many times is, of course, sometimes we get a little overzealous when we get out to prune our shrubs. So what what is your rule of thumb for how much to prune at any given time? You know, again, that, that 25% rule works works pretty well. Um the problem, not the problem, the, the opportunity is some plants, when they get overgrown, can be rejuvenated. And so there are some shrubs that you can give it give it a kind of a wholesale haircut right back to the ground, and they will come back. It's amazing what, what, what can happen there. 
Now, it might set them back for a while, but but shrubs are a little more forgiving than our our tree friends. Uh, you would never, well, you could do that with a tree, and, but that would not be recommended. But don't, practice, right. But, but don't, so don't do that. Um, but there, there's just, and I don't mean to make this sound like uh, like rocket science. It certainly isn't. But but there's lots of layers to, to, to pruning. You really can't go wrong. Just get out there and, and do it and have some fun. All right. Jeff Isles, professor and chair of the horticulture department at Iowa State University. There are many pruning resources available. If you look up Iowa State University Extension and type in pruning, you will find a lot of them on there. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today and a sure sign of spring. Horticulture Day returns to our weekly schedule as of today, which always feels good to me no matter what the weather is doing. With me today, Jeff Isles, professor and chair of the Horticulture Department at Iowa State University, and Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. Now, I have friends, and I have I've yet to see this myself, but I have friends who are reporting that they have seen snowdrops, that they are seeing other bulbs mm. start to peek up through the surface. Are you seeing any signs, Aaron? I haven't seen a lot. I have seen one particularly warm location on campus. Uh, it's like right next to a building on the south side, big building, lots of kind of heat sink areas. Um, daffodils just pushing up out of the ground and they usually come up leaves come up fairly early for daffodils so uh yeah we're we're on our way all right well it's it's coming it's coming if yes. you have, it always does it does if you have questions <laughs> you can join us 866-780-9100 you can send email to talk of iowa at iowapublicradio.org and Jeff, uh, we'll start with a question from Adam from Rockwell. He says, I have four maple trees of different varieties that are about 13 years old. I've noticed several branches that are growing at weird angles or rubbing against another branch, and I plan to do some spring pruning to remove branches that are rubbing or growing too low. I have a pole saw, and I'm ready to go. I just need some advice on how to go about it, where to start. Hmm. Well, this is the problem with this medium charity. It'd be, it'd be great to, to be looking at pictures so I could be more specific with my advice. But here, here are some general rules. So if these branches are fairly large, I always try to take the weight off the branch before I make my final cut. So with a prune, pruning saw or pole saw, that would mean, you know, maybe removing half of the branch first out away from your final cut just to get the weight off because a heavy branch as you're making your final cut back to the main stem or back to the trunk, it could rip. And so always take the weight off first. And then I, I like the fact that Adam is thinking about rubbing and crossing branches. Obviously, we want to take care of that. It's which one you leave. I mean, and that's where we're, we're kind of lacking. We don't have all the information. But when you're trying to decide which branch to leave, which, which branch to remove, that, that's a weighty decision, if you will. So um, 
maybe Adam could send me a picture later on, but always get that, that weight off first. And then try to make the proper cuts. We didn't talk about mechanics in, in the opening se- section, but of course you're trying to not make a flush cut. You're staying outside of the, the collar, which is pretty evident on, uh, on maples. So try to make that final, final cut. And if you do that, there's no reason to use any kind of wound dressings uh, on, that, uh, on that wound. All right, Adam, good luck. I hope you get out there soon because now is the moment. You can give us a call at 866-780-9100 or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Nick is on the line next in West Des Moines. Hi, Nick. Hi. How's everyone today? Great. What's your question? Well, Jeff, years ago, used to tout, and he kind of gave a just a bit of a Oh, I don't know, uh, simple guide to pruning. And it was the four D's, which is you cut, the first thing you look for when you prune is dead, dying, diseased, and damaged branches. And then the second rule of thumb was anything that was growing to the center and, the, and make sure that the center leader was established. And then thirdly, you pruned for shape. Are you still touting that, Jeff? Well, whoever that Jeff was you were talking to had had it mostly right. So if if it was me, I'll I'll take I'll take the credit. Well, but, and Nick, um, you sound like the best student <laughs> ever to have remembered this all this time. This was years it, it ago. Me... a shade tree short course. Nice. Oh, good, good, good. It always makes me nervous when people remind me of things I said. But <laughs> um, but let's let's go with that. I I, I kind of like that. And, and the idea that uh, you, you don't want to encourage a lot of branches growing back into the canopy is, is a good one. I mean, there's always the exception to the rule. And, of course, our smaller stature ornamental trees, we don't get quite as worried. But, yeah, um, take out the dead stuff first. Take out the defects. So look for that central leader and, and try to avoid branches growing back into the canopy. That's, I mean, if you do that, if you're watching that kind of thing, then you're not going to have too many problems. Uh, and if you're doing it on an annual basis, then... Nick, what a great student. Thank, and thanks for mentioning the Shade Tree Shore course. We just finished that, that program last week, and it was a right. Did, did you come? Were you there? No, I don't go anymore. I retired. Okay. Well, <laughs> All you can right. always come back. Yeah, Nick, thanks. thanks. <laughs> retired as a student, I guess. Nick, thanks so much for the call. 866-780-9100. You know, living with a teenager, sometimes you probably forget that your words actually have weight, Jeff. So that's oh, nice. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> nice to know. People are listening. All right. Chris is on the line next in Davenport. Hi, Chris. Hi, far out. Uh, what a pleasure. Thank you for taking my call. I have a 42-year-old bonsai. It's a mandarin orange tree. I've read different things. When is the best time to prune it? Aaron? You know, I think for the most part, bonsai is going to be pruned... Uh, and roughly the same schedule as any other woody plant would be pruned. So, um, you know, being citrus, uh, it's it's definitely growing slower, and it's kind of um, sometimes they lose their leaves and sometimes they don't. Um, but now would be probably one of the better times to do it, I, I would say, um, because it's going to, once the days start getting longer, longer the temperatures started getting warmer, you might move it outside um, very likely. So doing it before you kind of put it in that like good growing environments uh, so that it can take off and seal off that whatever wound you might make is, is a good idea. 
Awesome. Thank you. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot for the call, Chris. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Next up, we've got Joe in Boone County. Hi, Joe. Hi. Um, I We have a, a big garden, and I'm getting kind of tired of it. I've, I've heard about this idea of no-till gardening. I'm wondering if it if it's viable, if it, if it seems viable, and, and if so, you know, what do I have to keep in mind to try to do vegetable gardens without so much tilling and maybe so much weeding? Yeah. No, you can absolutely do a vegetable garden with little or no tilling. A, a lot of times folks will still like to um, kind of prepare a planting bed, maybe with a garden fork or a spade, just kind of kind of shallowly cultivate that layer that you're planting in, whether it's seed or transplants, to make it a little bit easier. But not tilling can really be beneficial. You're not pulling up a lot of weed seed and um, kind of getting germination that way. Um the other thing that you can do, uh, one of the challenges when you're not tilling is that sometimes it's a little harder to maybe incorporate organic matter, but you can also do that either by kind of layering it on top. That would also, like if you have compost or leaf mold, which is basically half compost, half not composted uh, leaves, um, or, or other kind of organic materials like that, you could layer that on top. Um, you can either work it in with a fork or a spade or not, and then it can kind of serve as a mulch, which is very nice for weed suppression too. So um, I actually have never used a tiller in my uh, vegetable garden. Any cultivation that I do um, or incorporation that I do, I do with a garden fork or a spade um, and have a lot of good success with it. So it's definitely a viable option. All right, Joe, thanks so much for the question. And Aaron, I, I think, you know, when we do something year after year after year, it can be hard to mm-hmm. let it go. If you were to reduce the amount of space that you're actually actively gardening in a garden, what would you do mm-hmm. to make that shift? You know, I, well, I would decide what vegetation I'm going to put in that space um, that I'm no longer going to be cultivating. Because if you don't decide, Mother Nature will, and Mother Nature will fill it with some things that you might not like. Right, which and will make so... it harder to garden the rest of the space, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, yes. Ideally, I mean, many of us will probably replace it with turf because that's the predominant thing that's in our yard. But you could also very easily replace it with a native uh, seed planting, um, uh, like a more of a prairie-style planting. You could also tra- transition it to a perennial border, which is a lot less maintenance than a vegetable garden, or better yet, a shrub and woody border, which is probably one of the lowest maintenance plantings that we could put in our landscapes. So, um, you know, making that decision, a lot of times those transitions are better done in the fall, especially if it's turf or seeding native plants. Those kinds of things happen better in the fall than in the spring. Um, but if we're, trans, you know, planting shrubs and perennials in the spring is no problem, too. So uh, you can do that. But you would want to definitely decide what you're going to do, because if you just abandon it, um, you're going to get plants there. Um, they just may not be the kinds that you want hanging around. All right. And it's OK to downsize. I, th- I think some of us oh, just absolutely. feel guilt about that. And, and oh, Joe, no. I'm going to absolve you of any guilt. OK. <laughs> no, absolutely. You got to. Uh, it's better to maintain what you can rather than trying to maintain but unsuccessfully what you know something that's too large and then that's when you run into issues like mm-hmm. getting invasive plants that you can't get under control and having weed problems that are really problematic in the areas that are really important to you so 
um, it's no problem to do that. All right, Joe, thanks a lot for the call. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. Bill is on the line next in Dubuque. Hi, Bill. Yes. Hi, what's your question? Um, I have a three-year-old maple tree that in June of last summer, after it caught my hat when I was mowing, I trimmed up the bottom of the of the branches, and uh, a split developed, like a pretty visible split developed in the actual tree about a month after I did that. Is there anything that I need to do to help that wound or, or, or just let it go and it will heal itself? So, so, Bill, this is a split that happened on the trunk? Yes, yes, on the trunk. Kind of pretty close to where I cut the lower branches off. Yeah, yeah. Well, short answer is no. There, there's nothing you want to you you could put on that wound to make it better. Uh, the tree will cope with that. Uh, did it happen to occur on the south or southwest side of the trunk? Uh, no, it was on the north end. The north end of it. North. Okay. So, well, it, it might have had something to do with with branch removal, and then again, it might not have. But uh, short again, there there just isn't anything that you can do to help that along. So. The, the tree, if it's young, and it is young, and if it's healthy, uh, it will cope with that wound and hopefully grow new tissue over it and, and close that wound. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's hard to, hard to say what, what might have happened there. It, but, and you brought up another issue, Bill, this, this issue, issue of, of removing lower branches. Whenever I see a young tree, I like to see about two-thirds of the tree in branches. And that, that's a good guidepost because, remember, those lower branches are feeding the lower part of the tree. They're helping develop stem diameter. And so be careful with removing too many of the lower branches at, at, at one time. Look for that, that two-thirds of the tree in, in living branches, which is a, a pretty good guidepost. All right, Bill, thanks yeah. so much. And, and like I, oh, go ahead. Thank you. Oh, I was just going to say, it, it was after, after the tenth time of me losing my hat and going around the tree, that frustration is hit. But I will remember that, though. Uh, we can all relate nope. to that frustration, for sure. <laughs> and and it's good that it was your hat and not a gash on your head. Um, Jeff, I have to ask you, why did you ask him what side of the trunk it was on? What does that mean? Well, we, we sometimes see sunscald damage on maples uh, on the south or southwest side of the trunk uh, because on that side of the trunk you will get fluctuating temperatures, especially in the winter. And it's thought that that fluctuation in temperature causes tissue death on, on that side of the trunk. And so sunscald typically shows up uh, in, in a directional way like that. But he he blew that up by saying this is a north uh, a north side insult. So I'm not sure what... Yeah, what you were going to sound so smart if it had oh, been on the I was, south I was, side. I was lining him up. Oh, I thought I had one there. Next but, time. Uh, no, no. <laughs> All right. Let's go to James in Iowa City. Hi, James. Hi. Hey, I'll, uh, I'll pose a question and then I'll hang up. But uh, over the past few years, I've been trying to transplant wild ramps with some success. But wonder if you have any pointers on, you know, how to more easily do it. Uh, maybe seeding in the fall. I've got a friend who's done that. And maybe soil type, shade, uh, moisture. Was your um, friend I'm successful with seeding them. in the fall, James? He, he's actually thrown some around his house in town and had some grow huh? around his house. But uh, um, so, well, you know, one, both. I've planted, like I said, I've transplanted bulbs. Um, uh, just uh, just any any advice would be great. They're 
it's kind of nice to wild forage, if, even if I could move it closer to home. What was the plant again? Ramps. So they're a, a very popular, um, they're also called wild leeks, and um, oh. people love to forage them. They're very difficult to find, yes. and some people say that you shouldn't forage them anymore because um, mm. they're they're too scarce, and I totally get James's desire to have them close to home. But Aaron, I'm guessing this is not an area of expertise. <laughs> well, you know, anytime, so anytime we're dealing with um, kind of woodland kind of understory plants and, and, and those kinds of things, you know, definitely don't want to transplant them if we, if, um, you know, kind of out of their native area, if we can avoid that, because um, often, in, especially in a woodland setting, these are the plants that are often kind of the, the most at, at danger of disappearing um, from invasive species, from uh, changes in in other parts of the canopy and the and the and the soil and climate, all that thing in in those woodland areas. So we we never recommend kind of relocating or moving it. This would be the same for like American ginseng and some of these other like kind of woodland woodland um, crops that are very economically uh, valuable, um, but are not very common. Um, in terms of uh, when to plant, a lot of times native stuff. Um, in the fall is really nice, especially if if you're not sure if it needs that stratification. Many of our native plants do need a cold treatment or a stratification to uh, germinate or grow. And then letting Mother Nature do it instead of having us do it by planting it in the fall is much easier and often much more successful, even if it means um, you're planting them kind of like in a nursery bed and then transplanting them in the spring. Um, which is certainly a possibility. If you want to know like how successful your seeding was or you're not quite sure where they're all going to end up or you want a more uniform kind of patch or, or planting, starting them in a nursery bed in the fall, moving them once they germinate or get a, a little bit of size on them in the spring is a, is a good option potentially too. All right. James, thank you so much for the call and the question. Um, I, I would be curious if there are places trying to propagate the bulbs and sell those. That's that's mm-hmm. these are all topics probably for another day. <laughs> but but <laughs> yes. thanks thanks a lot for the call. Let's try to squeeze squeeze in a very um quick question here from Kathy in the Quad Cities. When should I prune my Japanese yew? They're well established and a bit overgrown. Right. Right now, this this again works for Japanese yews. You can touch them up again in the summer, but now would be an appropriate time. All right. Jeff Isles, professor and chair of the horticulture department at Iowa State University. Aaron Style is also here, Iowa State University Extension horticulture specialist. We will get back to answering your questions about all the things you'd like to grow or grow better in just a couple of minutes. And you can join the conversation. Call us 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. This is Talk of Iowa. Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today, and you are welcome to join the conversation. Give us a call, 866-780-9100, 866 780 
800-273-9100 or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. With me today, Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist and Jeff Isles, Professor and Chair of the Horticulture Department at ISU. We've been talking a lot about pruning this hour. You are welcome to join with your pruning questions, but of course we will answer any of the questions you have about the plants and trees in your life. Let's go back to the phones. Dorothy's on the line in Iowa City. Hi, Dorothy. Yes, I have a question about pruning potentilla. I planted mm-hmm. a couple by our foundation of our house, and they've grown t- quite large and over the grass. How far down can I prune them, or what should I do for pruning? Yeah, great question, Dorothy. And this is one of those summer flowering shrubs that we can treat rather harshly. Uh, in fact, I, I almost treat potentilla like a herbaceous perennial. So you can cut them back uh, maybe to within 12 inches of the ground uh, or even further back, and they'll come back nice and full, and they'll still flower for you in this calendar year. So uh, just cut them back. You don't have to worry about where you cut them, just a wholesale removal of tissue back to within 12 inches of the ground, and I think you'll be pleased with how they how they regrow. Okay. They don't get a lot of sun. They're they're in a partial shade area. Does that uh, make a difference? Well, potentilla do like full sun, and, and they perform best in, in full sun. But, but I've seen them flower quite nicely in, in partial shade as well. Uh, and so if they haven't performed up to your standards, that, that could be the reason. But but they will benefit oh, from, from pruning right now. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot for mm-hmm. the call, Dorothy. 866-780-9100 is the number. Andy is on the line next in Grand Junction. Hi, Andy. Hey, good morning to you all. Good morning. What's your question? My question, my question is concerning uh, fruit uh, sprays, insect sprays on fruit trees. Over the last number of years, I have used a dormant oil spray on all of my different fruit trees, and then during the season, done a regimen of the uh, of the the fruit tree sprays. I every fall I still get an abundance of insects in my cherries and apples, etc. I'm wondering. If you have any advice, I believe I yes. followed the regiment correctly, but I may not have been. <laughs> yes. It, it, apples, cherries, pears, um, all those fruit trees have a tremendous number of disease and insect kind of pressures uh, growing here in Iowa, in the Midwest. And so without some kind of management, we don't get very good uh, fruit set. And so... Often, um, a dormant oil spray is a great place to start. You do have to apply that when the tree is fully dormant. If it is even slightly coming out of dormancy, um, then that window has closed for that particular uh, kind of management method. Uh, we like the home orchard sprays for the most part. They're very straightforward for homeowners to use, but they are not um, they're not a, like a complete control for some uh, some insect or or disease issues. The home orchard sprays are, are kind of formulated with the most common issues in mind, and and hopefully it can get to those. And on, um, you know, like an apple, that would be like apple scab and, um, you know, apple maggot and some of these other insects. So uh, if you have something else, it may not, the timing may be off for its good control. Actually, that's probably the most likely situation. Or there may be a better a product that could be used for the control of that particular insect. So if your first uh, kind of step here 
uh, continue, uh, if you've been having okay success with it, I would continue using it, making sure that you're following that label very uh, strictly, and especially as it relates to timing. Uh, don't don't kind of fudge around with the timing. If it says every 7 to 10 days, it's not every 14 days. You Make sure you get it in those windows. And then at the end of the season, see if you can't identify what's left or what's causing your problems. And then once you know what insect you have, we can look to see if there's uh, another product or uh, a, uh, something else that can be done culturally in terms of how we manage, you know, good fall cleanup or uh, something like that to help with that. But the first step is going to be identifying what that insect is and in, in that you're finding in the fall. And you can, um, you can use the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic to help with that at Iowa State. You can get connected to them either on the website or through your county extension office um, if you're having trouble kind of seeing or identifying what that what that particular insect that is causing your problem is. Okay, well, I appreciate that. I, I think the timing might be because I know I'm following the rates correctly, um, mm -hmm. but as you know, there's times we get backed up from. Uh, uh, you know, from weekends, et cetera, and timing. So that will be the one I will concentrate on for, for this, for this season. I've done it for multiple yeah. seasons and I haven't got it right. So we'll, uh, we'll pay a little bit more attention to timing. And right. the rates are important too, but most of those sprays, especially for the insects are geared at interrupting some part of their life cycle. And so if the timing is off, then you don't get it on in the right time to interrupt that part of the life cycle. And so that's why the timing is so important. Good luck with that, Andy. Bill is on the line next in Corden. Hi, Bill. Oh, Bill. This is Dawn. Yeah. Hi. I have a question about a Nor Norfolk pond. Okay. And it it uh, it's growing up, right up to the ceiling. All right, Bill, you know what? We're having a, a hard time understanding you, but I, I believe that the question is that he has a Norfolk Island pine that is so tall that it's scraping the ceiling. Is there uh -huh. anything he can do about that? So uh, this is a challenge. This is one of those things. So Norfolk Island pine in its native habitat was used for ship masts. Like it gets enormous. <laughs> so it doesn't grow nearly as fast in our home environments because, of course, the environment is nowhere near what it is. It gets in its native place. So it grows much slower. But this really brings up a point that there are some of our houseplants where they have an expiration date because they're going to get too large. Now, some Norfolk Island pines are sold kind of as almost like a multi-stem or they'll have some sprouts at the base or some kind of offshoots at the base. If you have some of those, you could remove the main stem and then allow those kind of offshoots uh, to kind of take over. But if, if the plant you have is simply one kind of one trunk, one stem, I mean, I would probably try to prune it back, but a lot of conifers don't have good secondary buds. They're not going to break new branches like a maple tree would or a ficus tree would. And so um, you might end up with a really, really ugly looking plant. Mm. Um, but either either situation, um, you know, whether you prune, you try pruning it back, see what happens and then toss it or, or find a new home for it or you find a new home for it before pruning it back. It, you know, the, the outcome there was still the same, but you you kind of investigated a, uh, an option, I guess. So, I, I mean, honestly, for most, most of these situations when these plants get really big, this happens with palms sometimes too. Um, they just, they have an expiration date. Mm. It's, it's a little sad. And so I'm trying to find a solution for you <laughs> that doesn't require removing it, um, which is why I suggest uh, 
you know, trying to prune it back, but they don't always do very well when could, you do that. Could you prune back to a side branch and have that branch assume dominance? Could you could you train you it? You could potentially do that, yeah. although they don't often have a ton of side branches. No. Um, uh, the, the kind of the architecture of Norfolk Island pine, they have these very small needles, but the, the branches almost act as like almost like compound leaves mm-hmm. like they drop them as whole units they they don't seem to have a lot of buds and yep. and side shoots and stuff it's it's an interesting plant um in that way um and and hopefully this is one that has more than one trunk and that makes it a lot easier all right well good luck bill thanks a lot for the call we also had a caller just call to share that the forestry division of the city of des moines still has their tiny trees program going on where anybody Mm -hmm. in des moines can get up to five trees for free and you can find information about that on uh, the city of des moines website i'm I'm sure there are many communities around the state with great things like that going on but i thought i'd pass that one along 866-780-9100 is the number to call let's go next to Mary in Galesburg, Illinois. Hi, Mary. Hi. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. We planted a um, Colorado blue spruce about four years ago. Um, It's very healthy looking, except the bottom is getting a little raggy looking, and there's a few dead branches. Um, Should I touch that tree or just let it go? um, It looks pretty good, but I just didn't know what to do with this tree yeah well mary i mean if the branches are are dead and i assume these are towards the bottom of the of the canopy you could certainly exactly yes yeah okay and and you would you would take them right back to the trunk and you know okay again if you take the take the long view that that plant is going to get very big and those lower branches are going to droop down anyway so i i don't think you'd miss them um but, okay. but uh, I'm, I'm hoping that it's just a natural kind of senescence thing going on. I, it's a little early for right. disease to visit your Colorado spruce, although Colorado spruce do have a few issues that way. But uh, uh, but right. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. taking them. Yeah, yeah. But they're beautiful. That, the, the color is, is out, outstanding. Yep. It's outstanding. And we put lights on it every Christmas. That's our Christmas tree now. But uh, Okay, so it's okay to kind of trim up the bottom where it looks raggedy and... Right, right, and and take the branches right back to where they originate from. Mm-hmm. All you right. got it. All right, thank you so much. I yep. appreciate it. Thanks a lot for the call, Mary. And Tom in Winterset has a very interesting question for you, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Tom, are you there? Did a couple of uh, oh, sure. Yes, yeah, so I'm here. Right here. Uh, I, I planted a couple of uh, young bur oak trees on my p- parking. That you know, the city likes those trees. They didn't like my maple trees. But anyway, uh, it's each kind of I, I, I get, modern thinking is that each tree has sort of like a fungal partner that helps it work, you know, and helps the roots grow and do their business. Is there any point in trying to transplant some extra soil to get these young trees going, or just depend on so whatever's it's, it's, in the in the bucket? Yeah. It's a it's a great topic, Tom. Some people are, are firm believers that that if you bring these these fungi in from the forest and plant them with your trees, that it will help them. I don't think that's been thoroughly proven yet, so um, I'm I'm not sure that's gonna gonna work, especially now that the trees are in the ground. I, I'm assuming you've already planted them. Yes. Yeah. So so your your job now, Tom, is hopefully you've got them in the ground at the right depth. Uh, perhaps mulching would be a good idea. 
and then proper water management. If we have another dry summer, then that's job one, really, is making sure that they don't lack for water. And also the, the mulch, that two to three inch layer of mulch around the trunk and out to the tips of the branches. Those are things you can do now that would really uh, pay great dividends for you. All right. Tom, thanks a lot for the call. Alice from Swisher says, we have a willow tree that we planted about three years ago. Every spring it leaves out wonderfully and it's grown quite tall. But around August of every year, the leaves start to form black spots and eventually fall off. By the beginning of October, the tree is bare. What's going on? Well, you have a willow. Uh, end of sentence. Uh, <laughs> they have some. They have some issues. So Black spots would, would indicate a fungal disease, uh, and, of course, it doesn't really hurt the plant. It doesn't look good. You hate to see leaves fall off trees that, that early in the season, but it, it could be some kind of a fungal disease. Uh, willows just have lots of, uh, lots of issues. So, um, in fact, I'm not even sure that treating for that problem is, uh, is worth, worth the time and investment. But the, the first thing to do, of course, would be to identify the problem. I'm, I'm guessing it's a fungal pathogen, but, but we don't know that for a fact. So um, Alice could always submit some samples to the plant and insect diagnostic clinic, and that's probably the first step. Okay. All right. <laughs> you, you're pretty... Um, down on willows is what no, I'm hearing no. you say. Will, there. Willows are willows are willows are fine. They just they're big. They they need a lot of room, and uh, the further away from the house, the better. Probably <laughs> they have a place. They, we we all have a place in the world, I guess. And right. Willows willows do too. So not in Jeff's so yard. Okay, <laughs> Francis. No, not in my. <laughs> Francis says I have ewes that have grown quite large. They're six feet tall. I'd like to reduce their height by about a foot. What's the best way to do that and still keep the plant healthy? Also, should I just do away with the head shears and let the plant have a less perfectly trimmed appearance? Hmm. A kind of a laissez-faire approach. I kind of like that. Well, the thing is with, with, with a lot of our conifers, we can't prune too far back into the canopy. We have to confine our pruning to the green parts of the plant. Uh, and so that's one, one word of caution. So yes, you can, you can reduce their size, but you, wanna, you don't want to prune back into the non-responsive parts of the plant because then you'll end up with a pretty unattractive plant. So that's one thing you could do, and, and now would be the time to do it. Or if you're, if you're just going to stand back and let them go, uh, that could be a problem, too, because they'll eventually force you out of your home. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, the long-term solution uh, might be removal if these things are going to be fighting you all the time. But uh, that's, a, that's a tough call. All right. Here is a question from Pam. Last year, our forsythia bushes were cut to the ground, basically, by our new neighbor who didn't know the bushes were ours. There's a very sad emoji next. And then she says, will they grow back properly this spring or will the removal of the old plant cause the bush to not hold shape? My bet would be they would come back. Now, they might not flower very well because they produce flowers on, on old wood, older wood. Um, but I'm, my guess is you'll have some re, some regrowth, and uh, you know in time they'll probably come back and, and look like they used to. Uh, and uh, that's that's my best guess. But um, yeah, sometimes they look like weeds, and neighbors take liberties. Um, <laughs> All right, fe- and fences make good fences make good neighbors. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. All right. And we, we only have about a minute left. Dennis from Altoona has some pear trees. He's been told they have fire blight. Is there anything they can do about that? You prune it out um, and make sure the, the most important part of that is making sure that you go back into healthy wood 
Um, and so you're going to find where the damage is and you're going to go back a couple of inches and make that pruning cut. You don't want to leave any potentially unhealthy wood there. Pears are very prone to fire blight. Fire blight's a tough one to deal with. And um, you're likely going to have to keep your eye out for it and prune it out when you see it in the future, too. All right. And that wouldn't be something he could actually see this time of year, would he be able to? No. Okay. I, I, sometimes it develops a very kind of characteristic, like, shepherd hook, crook look to it. And that would be really easy to see this time of year. But otherwise, you're going to have to wait until the symptoms uh, start forming and then uh, remove it at that time. All right. Well, sorry about that, Dennis. <laughs> but thank you very much for the call. Thank you to everybody who called and sent in questions this hour. Aaron Style, thank you. You're welcome. Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Jeff Isles, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Charity. Thanks for having me. Jeff Isles, Professor and Chair of the Horticulture Department at Iowa State University. And we will be back again next Friday with Horticulture Day on Talk of Iowa. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. The show is produced by Danny Gear, Caitlin Troutman, and Samantha McIntosh. We got technical support today from Steve Cooper. This is Talk of Iowa. I'm Charity Nebbe. Thank you.